So welcome to episode 48 of Tetari with Wallet. So today we will be having the second uh, episode pertaining to this book, Brown is Redacted, edited by Christian Mark James Paul, my Sarah Aljaru, both of them I had on for the last the for the previous episode when we did uh, this book. And we will be having the other editor today, Mal Yente. Hopefully I pronounce his name right. And Bing Navato. And uh, they both have extremely in interesting stories to share. So I will wait for them to come on. I think Yan is here. And I will add them. Before that, just a couple of announcements. Firstly, all of our episodes are uh, available on YouTube and Spotify in case you prefer. Uh, all thanks to the brilliant work of Steffi. So please check us out on YouTube and Spotify. And secondly, buy this book. Today is the last day you can pre-order. And if you pre-order today, you will get a complimentary ebook for this uh, Brown is Redacted book. You'll get the hard copy and the uh, complimentary ebook. And you will get bonus readings by Christian and Yen. Okay, so you can still order after this, of course, but today is the last uh, last day where you will get this uh, complimentary perks. So please order as you listen to this. And I, I promise it's only $25. So support local authors, support local publishers. And it's really a, a, an easy read. Uh, sometimes it's a bit discomforting. Uh, and some of the analysis here quite uh, quite sharp, especially Hazira's chapter. So check that out. Okay, Hello. thank you so much for Hi. coming on tonight, and thank you for the book as well. It's a fascinating read. I'm sure a lot of effort was put into this. So maybe before we start, maybe uh, the two of you could introduce yourself a little, yourselves a little. So introduce what's pertinent about yourself, and also if I could. Uh, get you guys to share your own your own race or what you understand race to be from your perspective okay so uh yan you want to go first oh uh, yeah sure okay um i'm yan um he him his pronouns um i'm a playwright a writer actor director work in a couple different mediums like uh, plays novels um, non-fiction and comic books. And was there uh, anything else to that for the first part of that question? Wally? Your race? <laughs> oh, my race. Okay, yes. yeah. Since <laughs> Maybe there's I, a reason I forgot. don't ask people what's your race. <laughs> I think it's, <laughs> it's quite pertinent to this discussion. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm half, um, half Chinese and half Sri Lankan. Okay. Uh, half yeah. Sri Lankan, half Ceylonese, you mean? Yes. Yeah, okay. So, um, see, normally, so I say I say Sri Lankan because that's normally what people understand when I say Ceylonese. Then they're like, oh, yeah. "What's that?" <laughs> yeah. So, so interestingly, I mean, just a fun fact. So, my the IC on my wrist is Ceylonese as well. So, my dad, uh, my dad is uh, a Tamil, but his uh, ancestors Tamil, Tamils from Sri, Sri Lanka. Uh, okay. Thank you so much, uh, Bing. Hi. So. It's Bing and um, I'm a domestic worker here for 27 years, and um, yeah, I'm a volunteer of home. 
I've been a volunteer for eight years, and then I love to write. So I'm uh, I'm one of the editor of Call and Response too. And yeah, that's it. And of course, I'm also a, a contributor of uh, the book Brownies Redacted. Right. Okay. Thank you. I don't know. There there seems to be some background noise. I don't know whose end is it on. Maybe maybe it's mine, but. Uh, anyway, it's fine. So I just wanted to to start off uh, with uh, with this question. Oh, Bing is is gone for a while, hopefully. So, uh, what what does being a biracial mean to you in the context of Singapore and the context of the CMIO model uh, in Singapore? And and to Bing, what what does uh, how is your experience being a domestic worker in Singapore? I think it's a such a fascinating experience. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of ups and downs. So uh, please uh, feel free to share. Maybe Jan start first, and then we can. Yeah, sure. Um, really, an easy question, huh? <laughs> what does what does being biracial in Singapore mean? Uh, I I think well, in terms of you know. Um, I think the, the the thing that I found countering a lot. Uh, um, is which half of me takes more importance in people's eyes. Um, and I think that's the, the, the simple way to do that, is that if I, I say I'm half, um, Ceylonese, half Chinese, uh, and my mom is Ceylonese and my dad is Chinese, the question is always, um, when did my mother's family come to Singapore? Um, it's never when did my father's family come to Singapore. That is always that's always assumed to have been here for a long time. Right. Um, and I think it, it's a question that um, gets at what's quite innate about what we take as um, native to Singapore, which is not even true, right? Um, I think that's one that's one one aspect of it. And I think also because I'm, um, you know, visually not. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not visually Chinese. I don't yeah. present Chinese, um, and so that always leads to some fun questions. Um, the one, the one that I get the most frequently is, is "What are you?" Um, and that's you know, I get that in secondary school. I get that in junior college, and I get that in the army as well. Um, as if the the what, and and that's something that I have to explain. I have to describe my what am I, not who am I, but right. what am I. And the only thing that interested, what they're really just trying to get at is the ethnicity. And that was very um, funny when I was in the army because my name tag had Tay on it. Mm. Uh, and so that led to a lot of confusion. And once um, I, was, I was dealing with um, some cadets and they were all in the corner and they were like huddling at the pull-up bar and they all kind of like motioning over to me. And then they kind of like shoved one guy over, came over to me. He's like, uh, what are you? <laughs> um, <laughs> Somebody said, "But very handsome." Yeah. Wait, wait. But why is that a but? Very handsome. Should <laughs> just be very handsome. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my girlfriend. Don't listen to her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, then I shall not get involved in a domestic dispute. Yes. <laughs> so that's that's interesting because I really wanted to ask that because uh, looks wise you are racially ambiguous, right? So. You can pass off as a Malay, as a 
somewhat an Indian, even a, as a Filipino, well, Filipinos and Malays, sometimes people cannot really tell the difference as, uh, which was what I was going to ask being uh, later on as well. So, so does that, does your conception of your race actually matter if people already have an idea of what race you belong to? Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a really interesting question. I think that it's, um, maybe I'm not going to answer the question, but I do have a story that relates to that question. Sure. Um, which was I got so sick and tired of trying to explain um, Ceylonese, explain, you know, what, how that's maybe different from people's conception of Indian, which is, you know, also a nationality, is more right. a nationality than it is an ethnicity. Right. Um, then in secondary school, um, I simply just stopped telling people, what, when they asked me what I was, I would say I'm half Chinese, half of me is Chinese, and I'd like you to guess the other half. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, it was a pretty problematic game. Um, I'll get all sorts of, there's all sorts of questions, all sorts of answers, um, some of which may or may not have been slurs. Um, but that's what you get when you're, you know, in secondary school and, and playing that kind of thing. And I think that was, that's, that, that, that question of like, what did I perceive myself as was quite meaningless. And meaningless enough for right. me to just be like, you figure it out. I don't care. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I yeah. consider myself to be a lot more than my own ethnic, my own racial identity. So why don't you just do the, you do the hard work. Mm. Interesting. So, so, we'll, so we'll get uh, to that, I'm sure, later on. So, so Bing, maybe you want to share, because your, your background is is very unique in many ways, right? Because it's not, it's not often that you get uh, domestic workers or, you know, our foreign worker brothers who are active in the scene. Uh, so, Isaiah, maybe you can share. Yeah. But, um, yeah, first of all, I just want to say that I've seen you personally, you know, during the book launch of Miss uh, Anthea Oh, Ong. Okay. You were seated in front of me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, was so, okay, okay. Yeah, when I saw your, your like, when they told me that uh, you will do this interview, I'm kind of, like, excited, you know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me so, too, me too. Yeah, so, yeah, um, you know, I, I started this volunteering eight years ago, and that's the time when I started to be active in writing and... Um, yeah, it, I started with poet, poetry. So um, I used to be just, you know, like a normal domestic worker. And um, I'm, I'm blessed enough to have very good employers all these years. So in 27 years, I had um, 13 employers. And uh, I'm, I always say that uh, to people when they ask me if, you know, why I stay here for so long, I said, because I always meet the, the right people, the nice people, you know. And um, when I started volunteering, uh, you know, I, I listened to different situations, experiences of domestic workers, of my fellow domestic workers. And, you know, I never heard those stories before, but, you know, hearing it firsthand, I, I, I really don't know how to deal with it. I was really affected at first. That's how I got into writing because I want what, to. What are those stories being? What stories? Like the abuse, those? the abuse of domestic workers, like how they were treated, 
you know uh there are many employers who were like who mistreated their domestic workers and sometimes they ignored you know they they ignore verbally verbal abuse but i think this is the common cause of stress and depression of domestic workers and yeah listening to them was like at first i you know i used to cry while listening to them and i get angry but you know they said that you cannot just rant on to people on facebook and say this and that because you will get into trouble right so i just want to do it in a creative way where people can understand us or understand me on like um bringing awareness on how to treat domestic workers right you know because i've heard uh some kind of physical abuse sexual abuse verbally abuse you know like employers telling their domestic workers how stupid they are that they need to go back to their to to their own country and you know and just stay there you know if if you cannot handle the situations here then why come here you know you come here to work so you're a slave you know and there are right. some words that i will treat you like a robot so basically like some employers would do that so those are the things that you know that got it me into writing i started my first poem i titled it sacrifice and then you know some uh uh government agencies like uh in other countries notice it and use it like uh you know in their website to just bring awareness to for inter for migrant domestic workers okay yeah. thank you so much bring it's it's amazing work that you do i really really uh, am in awe of what what you are doing is really it's really courageous can i ask where do you see yourself if at all uh, in the racial discourse in singapore so are you in the cmio model is do you think there is space for you or does that model it doesn't affect you at all you think which one the that the chinese malays indians others you know so do you what 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 do you see how do you understand race in singapore for you um i think we're we're just we're all the same you know um it's just that we have different beliefs we have different culture but we're all the same i always tell my i mean my friends and others you know we just need to respect one another right we just need to respect then i think the world will be a better place respect each other's religion respect each other's belief you know i think that's the most important thing because um we're all this we're all the same here that, yeah, that's what i always believe absolutely uh, well ideally that should be the case right but do you think you are treated the same racially maybe maybe because of your uh, status as a dem- domestic worker um okay uh i i will answer it in the story to just like uh, yes yeah. carry on yeah, because, um <laughs> i i've seen <laughs> i've seen a book like in hong kong you know like filipino uh the way they they define filipino is like the picture is a helper or domestic worker that's how we are viewed so when when we when we go outside um you know like oh that's a filipino 
you know, they will know. Filipinos talk like birds. You know, they're very noisy. <laughs> like birds. <laughs> I, I haven't heard that, but... <laughs> yeah, there is. Is that common? Is that <laughs> a common stereotype? Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, because when you see, you know, like we talk really fast, I think. I mean, but, um, yeah, that that's how we... we uh, that's how I think some people see us. I think that's why I, you know, like the, the poem that I contributed to... to to this book, Brown is Redacted, is about a love story between uh, migrant workers. Migrant workers, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Thank you so because much. I, I always believe I, that yeah. that's how they viewed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really think that for, for our country, uh, for such an economically developed country, we have gotten many things right. But one of the biggest blots, I think, on our consciousness, national consciousness, is how we treat our migrant friends. Uh, I, I really think that is something that we should be doing so much better. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean that just at the governmental level. I really mean that at the societal level in terms of how we see people, uh, how we see migrant workers, how we see domestic workers. So thank you so much. Uh, so, Yan, so I have uh, a question because... Uh, you are you were from Yale and US, right? Class of 2019, yeah. So, you know, this this is a question I ask in a different version, but yours is uh, is a bit more specific related to Yale and US. So I asked my Sarah and Christian as well. So, isn't it uh, the case that these young people, these more liberal people, they are actually making an issue of uh, nothing, which is they constantly talk about race when actually there's no. There's no uh, actual racial issue. Of course, there's racism, but racism exists everywhere. And, you know, why are you making race such a big deal? Especially these liberal Yale and US folks, right? Always causing trouble, stirring the pot, right? So how, how will you respond to that yet? Um, my response is, you, you, you caught me. You caught me. I'm a Western <laughs> agent. Uh, <laughs> I've actually never been to Singapore. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I, I think it's a, it's it's. Yeah, I think part of the part of what um, that school did for me was make me understand um, how I could engage with these issues in a different way. Um, how that that there were other ways to do there are other ways to engage with that other than deflecting. Um, and I think that's what kind of what this project of this book is, right? Is what does it mean to go beyond? Um, what my what my past was, which was very often um, sidelining it. If people ask me questions about it, moving aside, just pushing it to the sidelines. Not very, not really wanting to engage with it because I just found it so heavy and so depressing. And then I was, you know, in mostly environments where I was able to do that, where um, the way people were viewing me was affecting me in you know social ways, but it wasn't affecting, say, um, employment or. Um, or, or other m more, you know, material matters, right? Um, but I think, yeah, that's what the, the, one of the biggest things I took away from that school is that sometimes you just, you know, telling your own story is, is a valuable thing. Um, it's a valuable thing for the self. It's a valuable thing for other people to share in it and, and have that. And I think that's what a big part of the project of this book is, um, is moving away from deflecting and into reflecting and, and, not, and not in a way to just... Um, 
sort of okay here's the problem here's the problem here's the problem here's the problem it's also what is what are the points of joy what are the points of tension what are the contradictions um and that's why when we got the bing's poem it was so lovely because it's 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 about joy it's about um the things that make us happy it's an unexpected story between with with what people expect um people expect it to be doom and gloom right um but there's actually a lot more to it there's a lot more movement right. to it there's, there's a very there's everyone has a different individual experience with these things even though they're shaped by you know larger problems across the board <clears throat> or larger perspectives across the board maybe not even problems right right yeah yeah so thank you for that that there's an excellent point uh, the idea of uh, this story is not just doom and gloom there's there's some of that for sure uh, and and there should be some of that when we are reflecting right uh but there's also joy you know uh, i think sharvesh uh the title of his chapter was they asked me to write about ground joy as well in in addition to uh bing's uh poem as well and i guess also for uh for whether it's racial minorities or whether it's our migrant friends it's not just you want sympathy or empathy right it's more than that even though a level of sympathy is good but that's not ultimately what we want right what we want is equality right so to treat us as a normal human being and treating us as a normal human being that that requires the whole mirror of in, in, emotions right and feelings right but there's sympathy and and it's okay for people to get angry at us also you know and and so on and so forth right but as long as we are treated uh equally so so you mentioned i mean i wrote that down immediately right moving away from deflecting towards reflecting so do you think uh, earlier in uh, because you sort of hinted at it in your earlier years your younger years because you didn't have the tools to deal with it you deflected a lot more than reflected oh definitely definitely a lot more deflecting i mean that's what the whole game was right of of um you know i'm half chinese guess what the other half is that whole that whole game is a is a game of deflection of shifting away from the half of my identity that i know is subconsciously or consciously less popular um or less um normal yeah and so i think definitely in my past i was doing a lot of deflecting um but the thing about that also is then you you do internalize it it's not right. just like water off a duck's back it doesn't just slip away when you push it aside it it, it goes deeper in at the same time can can you give an example of how you internalized it and maybe uh, that's a question for being as well has there been a situation where people think of you as something so much that you start believing it as well so yan first then then being Hmm. Give me a second. I mean, no, it's okay. It's being, okay. Yeah. Do you have anything? Please jump in while I yeah. while I think. Yeah. So I was thinking about how uh, there are there's this uh, phenomenon which I I felt myself as well. So there are some uh, quote unquote Malay elites, right, who refuse to be associated with other Malays, for instance. Or or I'll I'll hear this uh, from I've heard this myself from at least a couple of people at least, but there are many more. uh they would say oh don't play football they would tell their children don't play football because i don't want you to mix with the other malays for instance coming from malays there's an example of internalization of of these stereotypes uh, themselves right um, 
So yeah, I mean that's off the top of my head. I can think of of that. Yeah. So big, do you have uh, anything? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they used to say that, uh, you know, if you're a domestic worker, you cannot do anything anymore. You're just a domestic worker. You know, like Filipinos, most Filipinos are, you know, they, the Filipino women are domestic workers. You know, and um, yeah, I, before. It seems like you know that's that's why maybe I keep I I want to change that perception to us about us. That's why I want to try my best. Like I'm not just a domestic worker, you know, because before if you think about it, and and not only I I'm not speaking about myself this time, but there are many domestic workers who will say um, I don't want to do this. I don't want to take courses, you know, that can. Um, Uh, that I will learn new things because I'm just a domestic worker. So what else can I do after this? I will not use that knowledge anyway. You cannot be thinking that you know, you're a domestic worker and you're just like that. You only need to clean the house, and many employers do that too. You know, you don't need to learn new things. You you come here to work, so you just work. You want to earn money, you work. You don't do any more. You know, like a uh, rubbish thing. Like you want to upgrade for what? You know, so that's that's normal things that we hear, and that's why, you know, I told myself that I just want to change that's the perception of these people, that many domestic workers has knowledge about other things, like I can do this, I can do that. That's why when some people like. My employer asked me uh, because I'm new to this family. I've been working with them for six months, so they like, who really are you? Like, who are you? You know. <laughs> and then I said, I'm a, I'm a domestic worker, but you know, I have I need to do some other things because this is something like you know a passion, and I just want to help others, and it leads me to this. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So at the end of your poem, uh, there's a there's sort of a blurb about who you are, right? So, Bring Navato loves writing poems. At 49, she is a grandmother of seven. Seven, she's yes. A, seven, <laughs> amazing, amazing, and she's a single mother who has been working as a domestic worker for 26 year, years here in Singapore. She's also a help desk volunteer with Home Helping Her Fellow Migrants. Really inspiring stuff. Really inspiring stuff. Thank you. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you also. You've been here 27, 26 years, right? So yeah. over the years, over the years, do you see shifts in how Singaporeans perceive? Uh, foreign yes. workers and domestic workers, and for better or for worse, and which which periods were better, which periods were worse? Uh, worse was before. Like I came here in nineteen ninety five, so uh, the time I don't know where to get help. I don't know if I don't even know like if I was abused, I was verbally abused. You know, mm. for me, as long as uh, they give me my salary, I don't I don't have off days before. I did not go out for like eight months because. I have salary deduction for eight months. I only receive twenty dollars a month, and the time like I'm okay because I really don't wait, know. Nobody wait, what, tells me what. What, what are the What are the deductions for? Or why? Salary why, why deduction. Why? It's the agent fee. Oh, oh, sorry. So the, yeah, the agent fee. fee. So initially, you only got twenty dollars a month. Twenty dollars a month. Yeah, last time, and until now, it's still happening. Though it's it's still happening. 
And uh, that's one thing that's that you really want to of labor, isn't it? It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, for me, um, okay, I'm, I'm, I forgot the question. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. Uh, so the, the shifts, the shifts in perception. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So recently, um, I think when I started volunteering, um, I think after two years, maybe 2017, I think 2018, I was invited to do a presentation as, as MU. You know, it's like, you know, uh, I presented the situation of domestic workers. So from then on, you know, I started to meet people, the, young, the younger generation. So it's getting better and better because a lot of younger generations are now concerned about the situations of migrant workers here in Singapore. Even like the, even the male migrant workers, the domestic workers, I think there are more and more people who are getting um, concerned about this about our situation they want to correct they want to do more good deeds for us you know that's why there are more ngos now um and um there are more projects for migrant workers here now and yeah i'm very happy because it's happening and yeah so it's getting uh from last time there's nothing But now there's like a lot, so it's getting better for the situations here. Okay, thank you. At least, at least it's uh, it's an optimistic outlook. At least the trajectory yes. is is better, right? So just just a curious question: out of uh, after 2011, did you mm -hmm. notice that there was some anti-foreigner sentiment, or um, you you think it didn't affect the domestic workers? And I mean, the situation of domestic workers is always the same ever since, right. you know. And I think it's because we're not part of the labor law, you know. Right. So, right. so, but of course, we have basic rights. And um, yeah, uh, it's it's been always the same. I mean, I think it's the character of someone's uh, like employer, you know. And if they will not change, nothing can. Ch no one can change that. Right. Okay. So there, I think for me, it's still, you know, um, yeah, it's the same. It's the same. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. You have anything to to add? Yeah. I guess going back to this question of how it's internalized. Yeah. Right. Um. I think. Yeah. I think that was that was most prevalent for me in secondary school. Um, when there was a, in my class, there were basically, there were three um, brown boys within among the class um, and people from in the class of about 20 and someone once from another class asked what's the difference between the three of them and that's just a, a hilarious question right so 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 often so often i remember these stories and it's just so funny um, that someone would even think to ask that question and not 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 even for a second stop think maybe i shouldn't say this out loud yeah <laughs> um But I think what what that what that did in that in that classroom space is it it made me develop um, an antagonistic relationship with the other two, right. particularly one of them who everybody said we looked exactly the same. Ah, oh, right, right, right. Um, which was because not... you were you were what you felt you were competing for the same attention from the same crowd, or what was it? It just felt like it felt like um it felt like I was losing my identity. 
right? I was existing in relation to this other person, right, into, right. to the system, and I was not part of the. I was not part of it, right? Um, and of course, that doesn't excuse. I was, I was. I mean, what I'm saying is, I was essentially bullying this boy, um, and I think it was driven by that. Not, it's not really uh, an excuse, right? I should not have been relating to him that way, but I also did not have the tools to understand what was going on in myself and why I was very instinctually um, annoyed at this boy very often. Right. right? And how, um, how in some ways I felt like we were losing ourselves in each other. Right. So, so, you know, yeah, I, I mean, that is very relatable. You know, so I've, I've had even... Uh, Two weeks ago was the latest one where somebody just came up to me and said, hey, are you so-and-so's brother or cousin? Like, just came up to me randomly, this person I didn't know. My, my response is always the same. Like, not all Indians are related. And then immediately you'll see the, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean that. Like, I don't go around like a random person. Like, are you related to this <laughs> Well, Mali, you're, you're, much, you're much nicer than I am because if somebody did that to me, I would just say yes. <laughs> now let's see how long we could go until until the truth came out. <laughs> There's another one, another one you know, where you go to today. Today is storytelling time, right? So a few times, right? I, I'm just at the hawker center, right, as a as a customer. But it's few times it has happened, and my wife knows this. There'll just be somebody who call me. Ah, can you can you take my order? So it's very common. It's very common. And I feel like one day I really should just go over and take, take the order and let them wait. <laughs> uh, so, so um, my story is I've already done that. Oh, really? <laughs> it's so you, a, took, you took the, the order? It was at a Prata shop. It was one of those late night supper places near NUS. And I'm walking She's back from the from the restroom back to my friends, and this guy's like, "Oh, um, <laughs> go over." He goes, uh, "One goes on one egg onion." Uh, I nod. I go. I nod, and then I walk away, and I go sit down <laughs> with my friend, and I can see the look in his eyes change. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. So it's it's just funny. Like it's funny, but it's also sad at the same time. You know, but humor right. is a coping mechanism. You know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Bing, uh, there is a question from Brian. What what change do you <clears throat> hope to see the most? Or what do you hope to see change the most? Okay. Um, yeah, for me, it's like, you know, the way uh, domestic workers are treated. And, um, yeah, because there's still many. You don't see it. But for me, I talk to them every day. There are many domestic workers who called me about verbal abuse, they, they must be, you know, uh, they must put an action to it, you know. When someone complains about being verbally abused, uh, they must attend to it. Because, you know, I mean, you, can, you cannot be scolded every day without yeah, doing anything wrong. Agreed. You know. Agreed. And it, it, it's not really nice. Like for me, in my own experience, even if my employer will say something like, you know, very light to me, I feel that I think it's off. I will be not, like I will, it will change my mood for the whole day, you know. And I will start thinking about my family, about going back, you know. Those are the things. What more right. for these domestic workers that, you know, you are this and you are that. 
and um you you come here to work so i you're a slave you know those are the things so i really hope that they will change it they will change it i mean there's you, so you, many you things mean that they they you mean the government employers. will change the laws or, or the, the, the employees themselves will, the em- will yeah. yeah there's right. so many things that i want to change i i really want to like there's so many requests that we want to change especially like the off days can can i talk about the off days here like yeah 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 carry on next uh <laughs> by next year i mean it's a you know um by next year they will do the the compulsory off day for domestic workers yeah. and once many domestic month, right? workers yeah the once a month our question is why they cannot do it like every sunday compulsory because If you don't go out for one week, you keep working for one week, what will happen to you? I mean, we are all workers, right? You work, you go to work, you go to school. If you don't have a rest, then what will happen to you? How is your mental health, right? So I just hope that it will change quickly. I mean, it cannot be just one compulsory off day and it can be changed like, you know, I mean, it can be uh, like two half days. So what is really the two half days? like from what time to what time it can be like some employers will give their domestic worker like two hours this week and next week you know so they must change they should change it i hope they will listen because they don't listen to domestic workers they don't talk to domestic workers they talk to employers yeah so i just hope that you know it can it can happen right i i hope so too i hope so too you know just now uh, when you talked about uh, the verbal abuse because physical abuse it does happen but it's rarer it's much rarer and i think people have yeah. a lot of people they have more sense than that but they somehow uh, employers are more willing to engage in verbal abuse because they think it doesn't cross the line but You you know the the analogy is right for us people who are not domestic workers and you get if you get verbally abused at work right it's already hard enough but at least you leave yeah. the you leave your employment place and then you go back but for yes. for domestic workers that's your that's your house and that's your employment place and you see them twenty four seven so yes. verbal abuse raises the it's far more uh, consequential for domestic yes. workers than it is for. So I I completely agree with you. I think this is a huge problem. I I'm not sure whether laws only would would do it, but there there really needs to be a deeper deeper sense. In your very first answer, you mentioned the word slave, and I do feel sometimes that people do not see domestic workers as as employ as an employee, but they see this person. It they don't they don't think that, and they don't mean that, but. The way they act actually is as if they own that person, and I think that there needs to be a huge mindset shift. I don't know how, but there needs to be a huge mindset shift. Yes. Yeah. So I I think the the ones once a week they uh, I think that's that's something that can be done, uh, or yeah. at least can be pushed for. I think. Yeah. And it came out last year, and it needs to be, you know. Uh, it needs to happen after a year. I mean, why? When we, when our employer employed us, if they say no off day, means no off day right now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But <laughs> what is why they need to prepare? What is? Right. I mean, it's just a matter of like um, talking to each other, like uh, you know, just commit on some things, right? And yeah. 
it will be better thank you thank you so much <clears throat> so so yeah i i do want to ask you as the editor i do want to ask you which is your least favorite chapter i want to ask you what is <laughs> 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 what is your favorite chapter other than bing's poem of course what is your <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's a that's a very tough question i mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of great um a lot of great work in there um I think uh Fidel's poem is wonderful. Mm. Uh, um as one of them um I thought um the interview um the the a little bit more experimental one the interview with the rapper. Uh, uh. I really I really like that one too. But I, I have to say one of my favorites um just because of the purity of it and the simplicity of it um is well when when we were doing this project we did an open call um and we did an open call specifically um for young um young singaporeans or young young people living in singapore um under a certain age i can't remember i think i think we said 17 or 18 or something like that um and we got a lot of really you know lovely responses and i wish we could have printed them all but it's just there's like the amount of space and also the texture and pacing of the book um but one of them really just clicked with me and it's it's from this very young boy i think he's 11 or 12 um i can't oh my gosh i wish i i i'm like blanking on his name right now i think his name is ashwin um and it's just his his him talking about being um i uh, 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 what what being um brown in singapore means to him as like a primary school student yeah ashwin ram saravanan right Yeah so, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and he yeah, started and, off from 5 years old and he said his brother his friend's brother didn't like him uh, because look at his skin he looks like a third right he said 5 years old and he remembers this uh, and he says he remembers in primary one being called weirdo and dog and i i know i i had I I mean it's not that extreme but you know I had similar experiences from a very young age like people will always remind me that that I'm Indian <laughs> mm-hmm. even though even though you know growing up you are not so conscious of your race you're not so conscious when at, at early on it's only when others impose that consciousness on you then you start becoming more and more conscious yeah sorry you were you were going to say you're going to add on. no it's exactly I think the I won't say I, I won't say it's my favorite because I think that's too difficult. But I will say it's the one that really clicked with me in a very deep level because of how simple it is and how it shows, you know, there's no citations, there's yeah. no flowery language, there's no metaphor, no simile. It's really this is the experience and this is what happens. And um and I think what something I really love about it also is that it's written it's it's written almost like a combo, like it's almost written yeah. like an assignment. Um and it just shows a, a particular way in which we process our thoughts as well as starting that young right how we have to rationalize our our, our thoughts right yeah so uh this uh the the sit uh, chapter is actually one page and three lines only literally uh, very, short, was, very short very yeah, short very short but it's is really uh it's an it's a moving it's a moving chapter you know you can feel the purity and sincerity in in this particular piece Um, yeah thank you so much okay so so for both of you right what do you hope people will get out of this book what when they read this what is the one thing i mean i'm sure you guys hope for a lot of things but what is the one thing that you hope people will get out of this book 
Bing, you want to go first, Bing? Uh, like for me is to to understand, you know, what is, I mean, um, we shouldn't be keep talking about the racism, you know. I think um, people should understand everyone. Like whether you're a Malay, you're Indian, you're Filipino, you're a migrant worker, you know. I mean, we're all here. We're all here in Singapore, you know. And we're all working. We're all eating the same thing. I eat roti prata. You eat the same thing. You can eat adobo. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, we're all the same. There's, I, I think they should understand. And they should, what they really, what they should think is that, is, is something that, you know, that one day they will realize how beautiful each one of us is, you know. Like, um, we're not useless people. And, yeah. I mean, can I can I ask you? So, for your uh, other Filipino friends who are not domestic workers, maybe they are the uh, they are the foreign talent, quote unquote, right? So you know how Singapore separates foreign talent and foreign workers, yes. right? Uh, already that categorization, yes, that categorization is already problematic. It's as if the foreign workers do not have talents, right? But anyway, so the quote unquote foreign talents, right? Do they? What are the Singaporeans' perceptions towards them? Do they think that these uh, these people, because they are Filipinos, also they they look down on them, and they think that they are domestic workers? Also, how how is it like? I think for my, uh, I have a lot of friends who are PRs, who are SPAs working here. You know, when the, when you say SPAs, uh, the way we think about it is like professionals. Yeah. So, I think they're okay. I mean, compared to expats, no matter like. My friend said one one time was like, no matter how intelligent I am, no matter how smart I am, but I cannot get the same salary as your employer, you know, because she's uh, because they're white, they're expats. I mm. think that's yeah, that's how they receive it. Right. So there's still white privilege, even even. I here. know. Yeah. They yeah. Told, <laughs> even my own employer said that. <laughs> right, right. Just okay. because I'm white, you know, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah? Yeah, in terms of what I hope people get out of this book, I think uh, Bing put it so in, in such a lovely way already. I think um, what I'm hoping people get away from this book is that people are a lot more than their um, surface-level identity, that there's an individual that lies underneath that, and that is the thing that we should be seeing each other primarily as. Um, is as people, as individual people, not determined by our um, most external attributes, right? Um, and I think one of the things I'm hoping people will take away from the book is that is that when you approach someone, is to be aware, because it's hard, right? It's hard to not be. Able to, it's 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 not about being colorblind, also, uh, because that's a, that's an impossible ask. Yeah. Um, it's it's about being aware of what am I bringing to this interaction? What am I bringing to this relationship? What am I possibly um, unwittingly viewing this person as mostly, right? Like, am I am I regarding this person as Indian before I'm thinking about them as a person? And I think that's why the diversity of the content within the book was really important to us. Um, it's really not about giving this one, right? It's not it's not it's not all of it's not um, 
an identity that can be subsumed into a letter like M, I, or O. Right. Right. It's about the people within that, the people that make up that identity, and I, and I, and how diverse that experience can be. Right. So, so I want I want to push you a little on that, uh, but let, let me just comment on what you just said. Completely agree. You know the C M I O. Uh, at least I think the C and M, you can make a case for them being a bit more homogeneous. Not completely, but a bit more homogeneous because of there's a linguistic uniformity among those. But the, the I, there is none. There is none. The North Indian and South Indian is completely different. Completely different cultures. You started off by saying it's a nationality not an ethnicity and completely true. Then what about the O? Like, <laughs> which other country calls literally otherized? <laughs> <laughs> a specific group, right? Literally, not just figuratively, right? So yeah, so I completely agree on that. Uh, the diversity is often not talked about, but even within the CMM, right? But if if I were to push a little, right? If the focus is on individual level identity, so I just saw my Sarah and uh, Prof Lavi just joined us as well. So if the focus is on individual level identity, then what is the utility of the category brown? Why talk about brown as sort of a uniform identifier? If mm -hmm. what if your focus is actually to to make people realize that there are individuals beyond this, but wouldn't you be contributing towards the homogenization of brown people, which right. your uh, not your classmates, the people from the other class say, oh, those three people. <laughs> what actually <laughs> is the difference between them? Um, yeah, I guess that's a, that's a great. Point one, and I think that that applies to people, um, people who stop at the title. <laughs> we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll be able to be like, ah, yes, the singular thing, right? But right, actually, right. well, it's not even people who stop at the title, right? Already, already, the redacted in it, right? right? <laughs> suggests that suggests that there's a little bit more to it. Um, I think that's very much like the individual. That was the project that when. Um, because this book was originally a play and that script is included in, in the text, right? And in that initial production, in that, that staging of that play, the thing that we wanted to really get at was that brown is an almost um, a meaningless identifier, mm. right? It doesn't actually communicate anything because it, 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 brown is this, brown is that, brown is X, brown is, brown is Y, right? It can be all of those things. It can be none of those things. Um, and so I think that that's a precise thing that we are trying to challenge in it. It's the, the monolithic approach to that is whether we, the singular, like thinking of it as one thing, thinking that it can be one thing. Right. Thank you so much. I mean, I think that's, that's a great answer. So, so final question, we'll just end up uh, on this. So what is one wish you have uh, for Singapore pertaining to this topic? Right. So, so being in addition to what you said just now, so one, uh, once a week, which I think all of us should be pushing for it together, uh, and I hope to to be on board with that as well. Um, Thank you. But other than that, what what do you what do you see? Uh, what is one thing, one aspiration you have? Uh, so Yen first, and then we'll we'll end with Bing. Yeah, I think um, um, Bing's point about the legal changes is really important. Um, because it's very simple to say, oh, we should all be kinder to one another. Agreed. But what does that mean, right? <laughs> and how, <laughs> I think we all... how do you suddenly get unkind people to be kind if there's no right? institution <laughs> to force them to be kind? <laughs> and so the unfortunate, realistic perspective I have on it is if we can't make people be kinder to each other, at least we can make it harder to be cruel to each other. 
and and where that starts is is in the law in the legal approach to these things um is is ensuring that people are protected um and and defended from these things and and hopefully that eventually trickles down right i mean singapore the singapore government has such a big hand in, in all aspects of the country right and so i'm like okay maybe maybe we can put some of that to protecting people right uh, let's let's take advantage of the fact that the government has such a heavy hand in 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 many things yeah and what to being less cruel making it making it impossible to be cruel hopefully yeah uh, absolutely i completely agree with you and and as i said i think for sure we cannot take out the element that there are some people who are just cruel right and they, these people will always exist in any society uh, but a lot of times also it's the cruelty is not uh, is not innate if i could say uh, say so right it's more of elitism and elitist attitudes leading to this sort of cruel attitudes and i think that's the that's the more dangerous part you know because it's very easy to point out to you know when you see somebody uh, pouring hot water on uh, their domestic worker it's very easy to take the moralistic i oh no that's not me i would never do that but then you scold your domestic worker every day. <laughs> then yeah so i mean it's not as bad but it's still quite bad you know so uh, so yeah, i i i completely agree yeah yeah big yeah for me is um you know that one day i really hope that singapore will be a very welcoming place for every migrant workers here yeah and i and hope you, one day yeah. we will be included in national day parade ah right there's no there's no migrant workers in you know like the migrant workers of singapore you know in national day parade but because you see when you go around singapore when you look around singapore it's migrant workers work right right oh you yeah know? for sure like this this country would be the, would be in trouble without without migrant workers <laughs> it's true yeah. right i mean you can yeah. see you can look at them i mean maybe tomorrow for those people who are listening or watching you know maybe tomorrow you will see people like at con- in the construction site like yeah it's true you know but i've said that 2 years ago like 2018 maybe yeah i said that i hope that one day we will be included in national day parade like you know it will be very very meaningful for everyone i think Thank you so much. You know that's what? That's a dream. And this, and this, I I think that's very achievable. You know, so I I think it was my ignorance and just shows my privilege as well. I've never even thought about that. I've never even thought about a migrant workers not appear. I didn't even know, like, because it's not even on my radar, right? About uh, the the National Day Parade. Not that I'm a huge fan of the National Day Parade, but I think it's still symbolic. Uh, and it still matters. Uh, and I think that's an, an excellent exp- aspiration. I'm a huge fan of National Day Parade. <laughs> like I, I yeah, yeah I, more Singaporean I, I used, than I am. <laughs> yeah, because I used to stay at One Shenton with my employer. Right. That's my, where my employer stay. So my my friends will tell me like, why are so crazy about the jets, about the flag? I cry when I see you know the helicopter flying around. I can see them now, like really near. Wow. So the first time I attended the National Day Parade, like I was watching. Uh, by the marina bay area i was like oh finally i watched it 
it's I'm a big fan. I really like to see, you know, like an event, a happy event. Yeah. So this country is very much home to you. Yes. I've been here like, you know, most of my life. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think I think that was super inspirational, guys. I I'm Thank really you. thankful for 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 today's session and for everyone. Please pre-order the book and if it will be out uh, at bookstores on the 4th of November, I think. But please pre-order and then you can get the complimentary ebook uh, and the additional chapters as well. So thank you so much Bing, thank you so much Yen. Thank you, thank good you. Good night everyone. I thank hope you. it was a good session. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night.